What's up, guys? I want to remind everybody to pay attention to this episode specifically. We've got a professional disc golfer coming on the show. What? Yeah, you heard it right. A disc golfer. You might have seen the description of the podcast and been like, okay, Shane's talking to a disc golfer today. What's this? No, it's the first time on the podcast in almost six years that I've been doing the show that I've had a disc golfer on the show. He is on the PDGA. You're going to want to tune in on this one. There's a lot of intricacies of the game uh, that you might not know about. Some of the mechanics and, and the practice that it's involved. We're going to be talking to him about his, you know, pre-round rituals. What he do, what does he do? He, he'll talk to you about his superstitions and how, you know, he prepares for matches and so forth. Uh, we'll talk about the different tournaments he's been in, where the, the sport of disc golf has taken him at the professional level, the states that he's played in, and what his goals are moving forward. I know I got a lot of, uh, you know, friends and family who play disc golf as kind of a, as a hobby. And this is going to be an opportunity to learn from somebody who is competing at the highest level of disc golf. You're going to learn about the sport, that, a lot of things about the sport that you might not have known before. I also want to remind you guys that I am a Canva affiliate. If you guys follow me on social media, you'll see that I have a lot of different graphics that I use for my posts. Those are all done through Canva. I'm a huge proponent of uh, Canva. I love the app. I love the whole platform. It helps me out with my social media posts um, as I've built my branding around all of that stuff. My wife uses it for her her um, social media stuff that she does for work, all the things. So if you guys want to get a Canva subscription, I am an affiliate and I would encourage you guys. I, I would love it if you guys could use my affiliate link. I'll put it here in the description of the podcast. It's GTG pod, but there is a link to go and get that uh, affiliate subscription so that you can sign up and, and use Canva for your business and your branding as well. So again, stay tuned for this interview. Get your notepads out. You're going to want to take some notes. This is the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast, where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you, as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. As you guys know, my name is Shane Larson, host of the show. Almost six years in the making right now. I mean, coming up on 2023 here in a few months. And I uh, started this in January 2017. Just want to give a shout out to everybody. At the time of this recording, we're in 111 countries, all 50 states. And like I said, every single time, it's thanks in large part to everybody who has you know, shared an episode, been on an episode, helped us out with any of the any of the content, you know, if you've left a review on the podcast, it's it, it all helps. So that's what I'm going to ask you guys. Make sure you're following me on social media if you want to interact with me. Um, but also leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That's the best way you can give back to me to, to help the show continue to grow. Thankful for all the sponsors who have helped me out along the way as well. Uh, shout out to everybody out there that uh, has been part of the journey. Today, as you guys heard in the introduction, we're going to be talking. This is a first on the show. We're going to be speaking with a professional disc golfer. Uh, it's a sport that has become a little bit more popular. You know, on the show, I've had I've had other people on the show for like sports such as spike ball. Uh, it's more of a backyard game, leisurely type of sport, but it's become more competitive and it's actually gone into the professional ranks. Well, disc golf, I would argue, at least here in Idaho where I'm from, you know, it used to be a thing that guys would just do and, and it kind of probably still is where they just go drink on a on a weeknight or something and go hit, hit the course down in Boise or whatever. Uh, but it actually, if you take it seriously... Um, it can be quite extensive and it's pretty cool and it takes a lot of skill. So today we're going to be bringing on a professional disc golfer. His name's Dallin Blanchard. Dallin, thanks so much for joining the show, man. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here. 
Yeah, man, it's gonna be super dope. Uh, I got to give a shout out to Bryson Taylor and Chris uh, Blanchard for for the connection here. I actually go to church. I attend church with those guys, and uh, they had this wild connection. So I have to give them a shout out here. Their names need to be dropped because they were super uh, supportive in getting me in contact with you. So, Dallin, let's talk about your sports background because, to my understanding, you became a professional in 2015. If I'm not mistaken, is that right? Yeah, 2015, 2016 kind of era. Okay. So before disc golf though, talk to me about your athletic background. Cause somebody might be like, well, did he play this his whole life? Or like, tell me about the sports you competed in growing up. Uh, so we can get an understanding of your athletic background. Yeah. So, um, I grew up pretty much playing the, the three main sports, basketball, baseball, football. Um, ever since I was a little kid, I mean, I started playing, uh, basketball when I was, I don't know, probably second grade, uh, baseball ever since I was just a tiny kid and, and football as well. But I think basketball and baseball were kind of my, um, better sports. I played football probably up through my sophomore year of high school, but I, I was tiny back, back in, in the day. I mean, you may not think of it cause you know, Bryson and Chris, my brother, uh, brother six, five, you know, two thirty. Um, but I'm now I'm six, three, you know, two fifteen. But when I got my driver's license when I was uh, 15 years old, which is what you can do in Idaho, um, I was five foot four, 105 pounds, uh, which is which is in like the oh. end of my ninth grade year in high school, going into my sophomore year, and so I, I that's why I didn't continue to play football. But again, yeah, played a lot of basketball, played a lot of baseball, played a lot of travel baseball. I'd go down to Utah every weekend and and compete in uh, Rocky Mountain School of Baseball. Um, and then honestly, just growing up, like me and my brothers, so there's uh, five of us brothers and one sister in the family. And all we did was play sports and make up sports. And it was it always ended up in, every game we'd play ended up in crying. I mean, <laughs> so it was always just, just super, super competitive uh, in the Blanchard home, so. That's, that's funny. Yeah. Now I got two things to kind of piggyback off there real quick. Five, four, 105. So you were a buck Oh five. Yeah. That's, that's pretty small. Uh, when yeah. did you hit your growth spurt? I want to just to give some people some encouragement. Cause there's probably a lot of kids out there. I know them. I coach <laughs> a couple of kids in basketball, yeah. 16, 17 year olds that are like five, six, five, seven. I just want to mm -hmm. see if we can give them a little bit of hope. When did you hit your growth spurt, man? <laughs> well, I'd say by, so by my senior year of high school basketball, I was probably five foot 11. So I graduated under six foot and uh, I hit my growth spurt between my 19 to 21, where I, I went on a, a mission for the church and came back six, six foot three, 200 pounds. Sheesh, dude. Yeah. So, okay. No, but that's, that's cool to hear because I just want to give some of the athletes an idea. Like I know this is about yep. disc golf, but we're going to talk about this. That kind of happened. I didn't get taller, but I got, I like, I got more athletic when I went on a church mission. Uh, you mm -hmm. know, there's, there's a time frame, but to, like, I graduated at 17. I was a young kid graduating. So like, um, I was 17 as a freshman at Boise state. And back then you had to be 19 to go on a mission. So like, this is like 2006 is when I graduated high school. And I remember like all these kids were leaving on missions. I was at Boise state, 17 year old freshman for two weeks, which is wild. The 17 year old kid in college. Now that I think about it, I'm like, that's just crazy. And I was like, I always think back of it now. Cause the, like, even a year later, Dallin, I was like, you know, I gained about 10, 12 pounds of muscle because I was sitting in the gym. My body was naturally growing. The difference between me at 18 compared to 17, massive difference. And then the difference between me at 21 after I had served a mission, granted, I lost a lot of weight because I was in Brazil, but like, I, I mean, I was able yeah. to put that back on. My body was naturally bigger. 
the athleticism, everything was so much different. Like your body will grow. So did you ever have the aspirations to like compete in like maybe college basketball when you returned home from a mission or was that kind of out the window when you, when you returned home now that you were like a giant? Yeah, yeah no, that, that's a, that's a good, a good question. I mean, I was, I was never recruited through high school. Um, and even after, after my mission, when I got back, I wasn't recruited. And it's funny because it's the same thing on my mission. And then when I got out, got home from my mission, like my basketball skills, which was probably my best sport uh, growing up, they got so much better. And it was almost too late for me when I realized, man, I could probably go play D1 basketball. It was too late for me to like really go and pursue it. And so I kind of just took the route, uh, went up to Brigham Young University in Idaho and, you know, did they, they had this competitive basketball league and um, I, I had a good time playing in the competitive basketball league. They would have, they'd actually have like a draft and, uh, you know, they had a 10 teams and they'd draft people. There's tryouts and I'd just go try and dominate uh, that realm of basketball. Yo, that's, that's funny. What years so, were that, by the way? I just, I'm curious. Uh, let's see. I was there from 2008 to about 2011, 12. I wonder if you knew CJ Spute by chance. I don't know. Maybe does that name ring a bell? Craig Spute, CJ Spute. He went to BYU. Really, yeah. He was over at BYUI and they, they actually had like a travel team that he was competing on for a little bit. too. Really? That, yeah. It was kind of wild. They put a, together this travel team. They were playing some other schools. Uh, it was a club sport for them, but they ended up like, yeah, it was a little different than intramurals because they had, they were playing like traveling around getting housed by everybody, but it was kind of cool to see. I've heard, yeah. I've heard, I never like, I've never been a, a BYU guy. So, but I've heard that like over there, the competition isn't a joke. It's like, it's funny. I always tell guys, Dallin, and I know this is just side conversation, but I always tell yeah. guys, you know, these, these kids that I coach and stuff that are high schoolers, I'm like, listen, you want to know where the real basketball's at? Head to an LDS chapel on a Wednesday night <laughs> when dudes are playing from like nine to 11 after the kids go to bed. These are the dudes that could have probably played college ball, but ended up either, you know, getting married or doing something else for their careers. And they had kids yep. and they started their lives pretty early, but they still know how to hoop. I was like, you're going to see old That's man right. with dad bods who actually know how to play the sport of basketball more so than you're probably going to see in an open gym with your own dudes. So anyway. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's exactly, that's exactly where, where I'm at now, you know, 35 years old, I've got, got the dad bod, the dad strength, and I go still play the uh, basketball leagues around the area and go play at the church all, all the time. But yeah, dude, rec league. Try not to sure. get hurt, though. Try not to yeah. get hurt. So that's that's the whole plan, man. The second question I had on that was you mentioned Rocky Mountain baseball and such. Did you ever know a Chris Frith by chance? A coach, Chris Frith, that uh, out of here in the Treasure Valley, which is, he's right here in Meridian, which is right next to Boise. I'm just curious if you knew a Chris Frith. No, I, a coach, I don't. He's a pitching coach here in the Valley. I didn't know him, and it's so in the Rocky Mountain School of Baseball, and that that thing's exploded over over the years. And back when I played. I think I was maybe 11 or 11 or 12 years old and we were the only team in basically Eastern Idaho that had a team in the wow. rock in Rocky mountain school of baseball. So I, I grew up in Rigby and then, so we had like three guys from Rigby and then the rest of the team was basically uh, Idaho falls and Blackfoot area, which is right in that, you know, same area, but we just had the one team. And so it was, it was a long time ago, but. Okay. Yeah. I got uh, you. I got you. Yep. I just, I just thought I'd uh I'd run that run that by you. Now, 
disc golf. Did you ever, so knowing that you competed in these sports and that you still compete in like basketball, you're still doing the stuff now just staying competitive, trying to stay active mm-hmm. and such, but disc golf, did you ever like test that out in high school or anything as a fun with your friends and stuff? Cause we kind of did, you and I are about the same. I'm 34. I, well, I'm just turned 34, but okay. we're probably around the same time frame. But I remember I only played disc golf twice my entire life up until the time I was about 25 because I went as a high schooler and we went on like a, a date night with the the crew before a dance that was part of our yeah. dance date and we went and played and i'm just curious did you ever try it out before later on in life i didn't know disc golf was a thing until <laughs> 2000 and uh like 13 but i i told you earlier me and my brothers and my family we just played every sport possible growing up and we played frisbee golf that's what we called it and we would use ultimate frisbees and we would go uh when we went camping we all had uh just ultimate frisbees and we'd play to trees we'd my dad would he'd be like all right you got to go around this tree go through these trees and that's your hole and so i mean ever since man i would say 14 or so 14 years old we did we played frisbee golf and um we we loved it and about the time let's see i was probably 23 years old um, my brother, Chris, he had just got home from his mission and he had learned about disc golf. Um, and I, I had honestly no interest and in, neither really did he, but he, he brought home a couple of actual discs that you use for disc golf. And when we'd go camping still, we'd give that one disc that he had, I think it was an Innova discs, uh, dragon is what it was called. We'd give it to the youngest brother because it was the crappy disc. <laughs> and we we would so we would still just use the the ultimate uh frisbees and he'd actually have the real the real disc which we called crappy but um come to find out that's what you should be using that's great so you guys pretty yeah. much invented it without knowing you invented it so <laughs> do, i mean there's some sort of like patent i'm sure you probably should have gotten on that one no i'm just kidding but that's that's yeah, pretty right. dope but it's funny though because i think kids that grow up in a and a family with, you know, a lot of siblings, it's kind of common to have like these random games and you're starting to see more and more like backyard games come about that I think mm-hmm. uh, probably started that way with a bunch of siblings or close, close friends growing up, just playing backyard games, making stuff up. And now they're like, oh, well, we can make money off this. So right. disc golf's become a pretty big sport. What's interesting to me is, uh, so you learned about it, basically the, the actual sport about 2013-ish, 2015-16 mm-hmm. era is when you became a professional Mm-hmm. whoa so that's like a two-year window how did, did did you know like were you good from the start or did you like have to continue to practice and like did you kind of become obsessed with it as soon as you started was it kind of a fun thing just talk to us about that progression because it's a pretty fast progression to get to a top level of a sport yeah so um 2013 my brother was my other brother my oldest brother was going to pa school in las vegas and him and some of his buddies found the sport and started playing casually and um so my brother kind of got all of us other brothers into it whenever whenever one brother starts one thing we all do it it's it's just kind of how it works in the blanchard family as well but uh yeah i i became obsessed about it and i was out actually out in washington dc kind of doing working my first job as a as an accountant doing some public accounting and so i'd go i mean as much as i could to the course and go play um it's it's also kind of when a lot of the youtube videos and disc golf had kind of started coming out there was a lot a little bit of media coming out and so i i watched 
the, the actual pros play all the time. I mean, that was like a nightly thing. I'd sit there and watch their form and figure out how they're actually playing, how they're throwing and really just in shock at how good they were. But yeah, um, I, I moved back to Idaho kind of in 2014 and just started playing a lot more. I had more people to play with and uh, yeah, found myself pretty decent at the sport. And I think, I think a big piece of it though is, is baseball because if you're, and, and it's, it's the, and I'm not a left-handed player, but if you think of a left-handed batter, it's your right arm when it comes through, it's, it's really mimicking uh, the way you throw uh, a disc and, and the hip movement, it all, it all mimics it. And so I think that was a big piece of, of how I was able to, I guess, progress pretty quick. And obviously I think just the, the competitive nature and wanting to be good at everything I did. Yo, that's wild. I, I was, I'm glad you said that. Cause that was a question I was planning on asking later on in the show is, uh, what sport kind of translates over there. So you, you answered that one baseball, a very interesting baseball. concept too. I mean, it's the same mechanics, uh, mm -hmm. Granted, if you're right-handed, I could see like if you're if you're throwing right-handed at the disc, you're typically batting right-handed, so it's a little different because you wouldn't be switching. But um, same concept as far as the movement and the hips. Yep. So with that being said, some people like I'm 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 being honest, like a, a casual fan, if you will, or just someone who plays mm -hmm. casually, they might not understand the intricacies of the game, and that's kind of what I wanted to pick your brain on. You mentioned you know mm -hmm. the arm movement, the hip movement. You watched a lot of professionals. I mean, I guess, what did you see the difference now being a professional yourself? What's the difference between like the mechanics compared to somebody who's just going out there and throwing it? Is there, is there a lot of things that you do have to work on mechanically in regards to what you're doing to be effective? Oh, yeah. Um, footwork, timing, speed, it's, it's all – that is the biggest thing that's going to make you be able to throw a disc far. I mean, the, the power comes from the ground up. It, it mostly comes from your footwork and your hips. Um, I've seen the most athletic guys go out and then I'll go take them out and go play disc golf and I'll, I'll watch them throw. And it's as if maybe think about golf and trying to, or, or uh, basketball or anything and just trying to do something with the opposite hand. They, they look... And it's just so goofy how, how they throw because you do, you have to learn the timing and the muscle memory and uh, just the form, making it as clean as possible to actually throw a disc far. Like I said, I've seen the most athletic guys go out and throw a disc and it goes 120 feet. And, you know, once you learn that form though, I, I can sit and throw a putter really as soft as I want and it'll go 150 feet. Wow. It's so. wild actually. So yeah. I guess how much practice does it take? Like how often are you, were you playing? I should say to like get to the point where you could compete at a high, high level in the sport of disc golf. Like how often were you actually playing? I played almost every day and I, I was lucky enough that the job I have, um, I'm able to go out and play during my lunch break. The, yeah. the course, the course at Idaho Falls is about, you know, seven minutes away from, from my, the office I work at. And, yeah, I'd go play at lunch, go play nine holes every day. And um, yeah, that's, I, I attribute that to being able to get me to a level that I, that I'm able to play at. That's awesome. Playing every day. So I, I, I do have a question on this. And so golf, traditional golf, 
They always mm-hmm. say it's the most expensive sport and it's actually very time consuming. So it's hard for people to do it consistently and you got to be playing consistently to stay good. So like, that's why I, I'll never golf. I hate it. Mm-hmm. One, it costs too much money Two, it, If I'm not going to do it enough, I'm going to probably always suck. Uh, Cause I'll progress and then I'll decline, you know, all that stuff. Um, is disc golf a little bit different in that regard? Because what I understand, a lot of the courses are free. I'm not sure yeah. if you have to pay for some of the courses in Idaho falls or anything like that, but are, are the courses free? Is it a cheaper sport than traditional golf is my question. Yeah, for sure. Well, it is for sure. Um, every, basically every course are mostly public. They, they have started putting um, courses on actual traditional golf courses and they, and you'll pay a green fee, but the majority that you can find, I mean, I think there's over, you know, 8,000 courses in the United States alone. And the majority of them are in parks or, you know, wooded areas where the public can go and play for free. And, you know, the equipment as well, it's, it's definitely a lot cheaper. You can go and play disc golf with one or two different discs and you're only going to be paying, you know, 10 to, to 20 bucks and you can go and have fun. You can go play. No, that's cool. That's good to know. Now, as you're, you know, making that transition over to the professional side of things, Here's a question I had when I had the spike ball player on my show a couple of years back, I didn't even know. I thought that was just, you know, it was fun. You mm-hmm. have tournaments around the, the the areas and stuff. You see everybody playing. I did not know there was a professionals like round net is the name of the sport, but you know, okay. spike ball. I did not know there was a professional league there where you could actually get paid or travel and play in different locations and massive tournaments. So the same with cornhole, that's become a mm-hmm. thing. Like there's professional cornhole. I've got a friend of mine who I actually sponsored who ended up on ESPN on the main show uh, with, with cornhole. And I'm like, Oh dude, but there are little caveats in that, in those sports, because you do have to get sponsors because you have to pay for your own travel. So I'm curious how the professional side of disc golf works in the PDGA yeah. as far as like that is concerned. Cause I know that you guys can win money. Like you can mm-hmm. earn money. There's a purse that, that, that comes along with certain tournaments. I'm sure everyone has a different, you know, a different bank of what, how the payouts come out, but like, do you have to pay for your travel? Do you get sponsorships? How does it all work? Or does the PD, PDGA pay for your travel? Like, can you explain some of the intricacies there? Yeah. So basically um, like some of these other, you know, one-off sports that you're, you were talking about, there are tournaments regionally um, all the time. Uh, they, they kind of break it out into different tiers. So there's the PDGA will sanction uh, a C tier tournament, which really the requirement is no added cash to a pro- the professional's purse. And within each of these tournaments, there there are different divisions. You have your professional division, and then you have you know several different tiers within the amateur divisions. But that's that's a, a C tier. Then they've got the B tier, and then it goes up to an A tier, which are the mostly the the regional ones. And like I said, those those tiers really it's just the the added cash uh, requirement that is put towards the pro purse. Um, and then from there though, they do have an actual pro tour, um, I guess, circuit that I think about 15 events that the top pros in the world, they're traveling to on a you know weekly to every other week basis and competing um, in these big pro tour events. And then uh, spattered throughout uh, the year, there's they have about four different majors, kind of like in golf, you know, the, the Masters is a major. They've got four different majors that that these players will play in. So that's kind of the and, – and, again, all of them have their own added cash um, requirement, but that's, that's kind of how the, 
the PDGA sanctions the, the events and people can sign up and go play. I love that. That's actually really cool. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners here that didn't know that either. So that's pretty dope. Yep. As you um, think back on some of the, the last, you know, six, seven years of, of playing in tournaments, do you have a, a favorite memory of a favorite tournament? Was it a cash payout that you earned or was it a certain thing that happened? Can you explain one of like your favorite memories in one of the tournaments? Yeah, actually, uh, probably last year. So the world championships, it's kind of, it's a, it's a bidding process, kind of like the Olympics, you know, you bid on it and it's going to be in different locations. Uh, last year at the, uh, world championships, it was in Ogden, Utah. They, they were actually able to win the bid and there were, there's two different, uh, courses that, that we played one of them. Uh, right off of I-15 corridor, it's a, a Mulligan's disc golf or Mulligan's golf course. It's a, I think it's a nine-hole traditional golf course that they've uh, put 18 baskets on and turned it into um, a disc golf course. And and then just down the road, they have uh, in this kind of train track area on the river bottoms, uh, Fort Buenaventura Park, which is just wooded and um so those were the two courses where the world championships were and i was able to play in the world championships last year and uh round one was at mulligans which is the wide open course lots of water and i was actually able to shoot uh the the fourth best uh round and i found myself on on the chase card going into round two of the world championships um playing alongside um just some of the biggest names in the sport. I, I actually had, had played better than um, the best player in the world. And so, yeah, I was able to get on the, a filmed card um, for that, for that second round. And I, I would like to have said I played really good the second round, but I, I didn't play as good. Um, but still, still throughout the tournament, I, I think I finished uh, 30th in, in the tournament, which is a, a great accomplishment for me. No, absolutely. And I, I want to ask, like, was there some added pressure? How did you deal with that compared to like other sports? Some people, they call them practice. All Americans are really good in practice. And then all of a sudden the spotlights on them, whether you have a camera or you got social media out there, people have their phones out. Like when you got into that realm, world championships, second round, it's a mm -hmm. filmed event. Like now you got, you got a little bit, you got a little more pressure with the competition that you're with. Um, how was the pressure there and how did you handle that? Yeah. Um, I, so I step up to the, the first tee box and there's about 30 people right and standing in front of me uh, with cameras kind of off to the side, you know, and I got this little gap ahead of me that I have to, to throw my disc and probably about 250 people behind me, you know, there to, to follow as a gallery. And no, I, I stepped up to the, the first two holes and um, put it right under the basket on basically both of them and uh, started off with two birdies. But that, that you know, the, the course, it's, it's, it's a really, really hard course. I heard some of the pros say it's uh, top two uh, hardest courses that they they will ever play on on the tour. And so it, it did it. That made it a lot of pressure. But then, yeah, having the cameras because I had never really been on a film uh, card with a big a big, you know, media outlet, I guess, in the disc golf world. And so it, it definitely had some pressure. But um I don't think it affected me all that much. It was more just the, the, the tough course. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of courses, like you've talked about the event itself, the world championship is one of your favorite memories. Is, is that your favorite course or is there a favorite course that you've competed on at the professional level uh, throughout your last six, seven years? 
Uh, I would say probably one of my favorite courses uh, is actually out in South Carolina and they've got, they've got a, so this is a, another one of the majors, major events that they play. It's the United States Disc Golf Championship. And I was able to play that in 2019 and 2021, 2021. And there's, there's really a, a bidding, not a bidding process, but a um, qualification process that you have to place so good at a certain event in order to get invited to go play. But the, so that course out there, it's on uh, Winthrop University is, out in um, South Carolina. And I, I just, I really like that course because it's, they rope every fairway. It's, they put even some goofy little obstacles around some of the holes, but just the prestige of, of the, the course and being the United States Disc Golf Championship and being able to have the opportunity to play there, that's got to be one of my other favorite all-time memories and courses to play. That's so cool. So even the sport of disc golf, you're traveling around a certain location like South Carolina. I mean, yep. a guy from Idaho, I mean, you mentioned Ogden, Utah. That's kind of a common travel point for for a lot of Idahoans. Um, but I mean, it's still pretty cool. I'm just saying like but South Carolina, like that's, that's awesome. Like what other States have you been able to, to go out to, or is that it Utah and, and South Carolina? No, I've been to, uh, Arizona, uh, Washington, um, Oregon, Montana. I mean, a lot of the, the, you know, Nevada, a lot of the Western States. And then, um, basically I've only made it out to the other, the United States championship in, in Rock Hill, South Carolina. Yo, that's cool though. You've got the West yeah. region and then you got out. You got to, the, that, it's, it's exactly. taking you a couple of places, man. Who, who would have thought right? that's, that's, that's super cool. Um, yeah. I guess I would ask this different places, different, different weather. I want to know about disc golf and weather. Is there like, can you guys play through the rain or will they cancel the event kind of thing is snow, all that stuff, or does it have to be, you know, good conditions? And yeah, I just got to be educated on that a little bit. Yeah, no, they will play through basically any weather besides uh, lightning. If there's lightning, they'll definitely delay it. But yeah, I've played in um, the biggest downpours. I've played in snow because there's there's tournaments I'll go play in when, you know, in the spring down in Utah and all of a sudden it's starting to snow on you. And um, Basically, if it's if it's dangerous, they will they'll postpone. But you can pretty much play through uh, any of the weather and it definitely affects the way you play. I mean, the rain, I mean, you're, you're relying on that grip on, on with your hand and the disc and the rain, you know, it, it affects it a lot as well as your footwork and just being able to make sure you're grounded on the ground. And it's, it, it's tough, lots of tough, tough uh, conditions. Yo, that's actually kind of crazy. I, I think um, people don't probably think about that, but that like the only other sport that I know of that is probably, the same way as football in the sense of you can yeah. play under any circumstance except mm -hmm. for lightning. Uh, yep. Baseball won't allow you to basketball obviously won't allow you to like, yeah, I mean, that's pretty cool. This golf and football yep. probably have that similarity hey. in regards to weather. Yeah. <laughs> it, it may, may not be both contact sports, but um, yeah, we're, we're hardcore. No, I love we're it, man. I love hard. it. It's dope. That's it's so cool hearing this stuff and just kind of learning about the sport itself and just the, the intricacies of the game. Um, I guess do you have any pre uh, match? I don't know. What would you call them? A pre, what would it be called? Pre round ritual yeah. that you, that you do to like kind of find your Zen. Is there music you listen to? I know it sounds weird, but like as a former boxer and basketball player myself, like I have music I listen to, I have a certain way that I breathe and I try to get into my, yeah. my flow. Do you get, do you have any of that? Or is it just kind of go out there and play? 
Uh, so I'm, I'm actually, I'm super superstitious as well as I think a lot of athletes are. And it probably came mostly when I was playing baseball, but, um, disc golf, I, I just got to get out there at least an hour before my round. I do tons of putting. Um, I, I throw the disc into the net or if there's a warm up area, I'll definitely go throw the disc there, but I, I don't listen to music. Um, I can't, I can't eat any food within an hour before or during the whole round actually it's it's just part of the superstition which is uh kind of dumb but uh yeah it's it's really just kind of focusing in and 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 getting my body warmed up but nothing nothing too crazy that i do that that is different so you know what's funny dallin as i'm think like as you're talking you and i are a lot similar like more similar than we probably would have known right but mm -hmm. i tell all my players even when i would run like long distance running stuff like a half marathon i can't eat but it's i always <laughs> tell them an hour it's mm -hmm. my cutoff before I, I have an event because i get sick i get sick i always have to do my runs fasted i have to play ball without like food in my system when i'm playing basketball yeah. everything i don't know it's just how i've always been because my blood pressure gets all weird my blood sugar gets weird and then i get super lethargic and can't focus so that's kind of the and then i i'll go to like it's always an hour before i get to an event like i'll get to an event like half hour to an hour even when i'm coaching just kind of mm -hmm. like take everything in i know where things are at i know where the bench is at. i'm just very like yep. yeah it's funny and playing basketball i like to shoot on the hoops if i'm in an away gym i like to make sure i have a feel for the basket you know that's so funny you said that it, it, it translates to all sports man um so i guess my question is this you guys um you guys have multiple tournaments throughout a year. How many do you try to get to in a year with like working a full-time job? I'm sure. Okay. So I'm, my, I guess my question is PDGA is not what you do full-time, right? You're not doing that full-time yet. That's not something that's going to bring in right. like the money for that. So I guess how would, it, how would you, you know, how do you manage trying to like figure out your travel schedule with a family? Cause you had mentioned before, you know, kids or whatever. So like, you've got stuff going on, you got obligations, you got full-time work yeah. and you got other stuff. So how do you uh, manage that? And how many, tournaments do you try to get to each year yeah you can almost call me a weekend warrior i mean i've i do i've got a full-time job that um, requires me to be here you know i've got several days off that i can take throughout the year so it's that's where i'm able to at least leave the job but but i also do i've got a wife and i've got five kids and they've got their sports they're still young but they're they're starting to get really busy but yeah i try to get to about 10 to 15 uh tournaments a year and of those 10 to 15, I try and my goal going forward is going to be to get to at least one or two of the pro tour events and, um, and the world championships every year. And hopefully when I play in one of those, I can qualify for the United States disc golf championship that always happens the first week of October. But other than that, it's mostly, it's mostly local, uh, the West side of the United States, get up to Washington and, um Oregon, Utah and go play in those events. Okay. Do your kids or does your wife get to come with you um at, at any of these? That's my other question too. Cause some people might be like, well, the, it might be worth it if she can come with them. But I'm right. like, I'm thinking for myself, I'm like five kids, man. You can't always truck along five kids. So maybe you can. I don't know. Like, so how does that work? Is she pretty supportive of it? Or is it like you got to be strategic with your movements here with what you're doing? <laughs> well, she's she's supportive because i at least make a little bit of money doing it yeah that and so she she helps she allows me to go play in those but no i i do try to bring the family to a couple of the events a year uh the last three years i've gone up to 
my wife's hometown in uh, Port Orchard, Washington, and they've got an A-tier event up there that they've they've had for the last several years. I've gone up the last three years and have taken the family up and uh, been fortunate enough to win that event uh, the last three years in a row, which has been um, pretty awesome because an, an A-tier event and being able to win one of those events is, I guess you can call it prestigious. It, it gives, at the end of the year, they do these, uh, the PDGA puts out this list of premier pros. And one of those requirements or, um, you know, qualifications to get and be a premier pro is if, if you have won an A tier throughout that year. And so that was the first A tier that I had ever won. But it was, it was nice because it's up in my, my wife's hometown and able to take the family and stay at the in-laws house. And, um, but they've, they've come to me to a couple other ones down in Arizona where we've got some family, so they're able to stay. But other than, other than that, uh, they usually stay, stay home, but it's tough with the five kids. Oh, yeah. Can't really have them following me on the course. You know, when it was just my wife, she used to follow me all the time and, you know, caddy for me here and there. But it's, it's kind of... Uh, gone down a little yeah. bit that that happens with kids i i got you man i'm i got i'm picking mm-hmm. up what you're putting down man i, I think yeah. it's so cool though that you still have been able to do it in certain locations where family's there super yep. awesome so the last couple of questions i have is we're wrapping it up i i want to know you mentioned caddy uh, i actually yeah. had this written down as a question and i'm curious myself how the rules of the game apply like in real golf like if you're in the masters or whatever like if you're a professional golfer you're not riding the cart you walk to every hole like there's yeah. and you have a certain attire that you have to you have to abide by, you know, there's standards to the game. It's very classy. So how does the PDGA work? How does professional disc golf work? Cause you'll see dudes in flip flops and they'll be drinking alcohol with like all over the place. You know, they don't care about their attire if they're just playing yep. casually, but I'm wondering if the sport itself, like at the professional level has a little bit more uh, higher standard, if you will. Yeah. The standard at the professional level, especially on the pro tour is there's definitely no alcohol, no, you know, smoking, no drugs. I mean, that's, totally uh, unallowed if you if you did that you're you're going to be disqualified from the events um there is a dress code uh, they like you to at least have polo you know collared shirts um or at least professional looking shirts um as far as caddies go i mean anybody can bring a caddy along uh they can walk with you it is required to walk you have to walk to every hole um but again, that's part of my superstition. I, I don't typically have a caddy. I've, I do have people ask if they, if they want a caddy for me. And it's, it's a hard thing for me because I'm like, ah, I don't practice with a caddy. So it's, I like to stay in my rhythm and stay in my groove. But um, as far as the standards go, yeah, there's, there's definitely standards. And it's not your um, – everybody the, the outside world, their, their whole view of disc golf is typically uh, hippies and flip-flops, maybe shirt off, you know, carrying a – a beer around and and playing disc golf but it, it's it's a lot different at the the top level because there's there's a big group of people where that is their full-time job and they are able to make decent good livings off of off of disc golf now so cool man see that's yeah. the information i was hoping to get uh out of this interview today just learning some stuff about the actual sport because yeah the public the general public might not know that they, if they're yep. not following the sport so What's next for Dallin Blanchard? Like what, what's your plan and your goals as a professional disc golfer? I mean, obviously you got a family and you're already doing this thing. You're managing it pretty well. Would you like to get to a point one day, Dallin, where you're doing it as a full-time thing? Or is it still something you would like, you know, you're pro- progressing in your career. You, you like what you're doing. 
and you you don't mind doing what you're doing right now, but you just maybe want to get higher in the rankings, have some opportunities. What's next for you in the, in the sport of disc golf? Yeah, I think for now, I'm, I'm just going to continue to do what I've been doing, try and get to some of these bigger events uh, throughout the year when I can. And hopefully I can I can play well enough where, you know, the the media and some of the other bigger sponsors are are looking at me and saying, OK, yeah, this kid does have some value and can bring value to our company. Because the the thing is, disc golf back when I started in 2013 and to where it is now, as far as the money goes, it's it's insane. Um, I will say there's probably a smaller group of people that are making a ton of money playing disc golf. So the the top player in the world, Paul McBeth, who actually last week just won his sixth world championship. Um, about four years ago, he signed with uh, a disc golf manufacturer, Discraft, and signed a 10-year, $10 million contract uh, as his as his contract. And the the guy behind him, he's a, a two-time world champion, Ricky Wysocki. He just signed with uh, Dynamic Discs, another manufacture a four-year four million dollar contract with with them and th this is this is their guaranteed i mean paul Macbeth. he also he got this signing bonus and he his signing bonus was a mclaren f1 i don't know if you know familiar with the that sports car and ricky wysocki got two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and he elected to put that towards uh bitcoin is is what he did and so the, the money involved in disc golf is growing exponentially. And that's why you have, you've got these young players, a kid named Gannon Burr, a kid named Cole Riddallen, who are <clears throat> 16, 17 year old, years old that have finished high school. And now they are full time on the pro tour. And that's what their career is going to be is disc golf. Well, after hearing those numbers, I can kind of see why that would be a, you know, a goal yeah. to try to attain, you know, that, that's wild, yeah. the money that's in there. So that's also insightful. I appreciate that. It's cool um, to hear, you know, what you're doing, what your plans are. So Dallin, mm -hmm. is, I'm not sure how much you are into social media or anything. Is there anywhere that people can follow you to, to see your journey in disc golf or anything of that nature? Yeah. yeah Instagram. I, I think my tag is Dallin under slash Blanchard. Uh, Facebook. I'm on both of those. And I try to post regularly about, you know, any of the events I'm hitting up, but that's, and again, you know, you're right with the social media thing. That's a big piece of, of what value these sponsors are looking at is, is the social media. And, uh, you know, we've, the, the media outlet now there's, there's just bigger, bigger followings of these media, of media outlets. And there's different people that have come into, uh, the game that have come into the game. I, I don't know if you're familiar with, um, Brody Smith and ultimate Frisbee. He, huh. He's this big, just this big social media guy. He did all these trick shots with, with, uh, with ultimate Frisbee. And he's, he's actually transitioned over to disc golf and is playing full time and has excelled at it big time. But he was able to get picked up by some big sponsors just because of his social media following. Ah, man. I was going to say like maybe so, TikTok might be your realm, man. Get some right, exactly. golf on TikTok. Yep. You can always find some fun little niches there. That's yep. pretty crazy. No, that's cool. So I'm going to put your links here in the description for, cool. for Instagram and, and for Facebook. So for the listeners who want to, you know, 
follow your journey, which I'll be doing. Um, I encourage you guys to go follow him. Go check those out here in the description of the podcast. And yeah, man, Dylan, I just appreciate it. It's been a fun time chatting with you. Hopefully it's not the yeah. last time I'll chat with you. I, I, I look for forward sure. to kind of following your journey, but I uh, just want to say thanks again for taking the time out of your day and joining the show, man. No, I appreciate it. I, I love sharing about the sport and, you know, want more people to get involved because it's, it's blowing up. Heck yeah, man. Um, if there's any insight that you could give to people, feel free to let us know. I mean, um, you can always hit me up and I can always put it on my, my, my podcast platforms and whatnot. But if there's anybody who's interested in maybe playing, they might want to reach out to you. Um, we can connect that way. But, uh, for all those who are listening, hopefully you guys enjoyed the episode. Hopefully you guys, uh, enjoy the insight. This is the first time in the five and a half year history of the show. So I'm stoked about that. And if you did, if you did enjoy it, make sure to leave us a review on Apple podcasts. Five stars is always appreciated. It helps get the show out to more people. We're trying to grow. Um, and we'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.